0: Feeling it. It's one of my favorites from the band known as Hall and Oates. 70 degrees in Los Angeles. Traffic on the 10 backed up to La Brea. We have school closings on the 10s. Wang Chung tickets to give away on the hour. Keep listening to 95.5 The Coast. We are back live in the gentleman's dojo. I am one of your hosts, Gary Cannon, and joining me, joining me. Via the telephone, because he's being very lazy today, oh, is God. Mr. Steve Burn everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Steve, now, normally when you are here, you're in charge. I cut that sharp. Uh, <laughs> normally when you're here, you select the music. I chose one of my favorite Hall & Oates tunes, uh, You Make My Dreams Come True, which is also from one of my favorite uh, movies, 500 Days of Summer. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm getting backed up <laughs> in the hole immediately, but uh, what would you have chosen that song? I, I, for some reason, I think that song may have been part of one of our 60-something episodes so far.
1: I think I've already played that, yeah. I mean, that's how original you are.
0: Couldn't even think of Every time I'm in an Ikea, I always think of that 500 Days of Summer scene where they go in and it's, you know, day – 400 in their board walking around the IKEA. All right, we'll snip that out. Okay, good. Hello, Steve. Welcome. By the way, (laughs) if we could just peel back the curtain a little bit, right? Uh, Steve and I uh, do this show at Post Up Weekly. Uh, There's been a slight delay, a slight hiccup. We haven't posted weekly. Uh, There's been like a slight bump, I would like to say. Uh, I think
1: we missed one. Maybe. We missed one or two weeks. One or two,
0: but not too bad. We've been pretty consistent and. uh, You know, but, but just to kind of pull back the Iron Curtain a little bit, which we normally don't like to do, but, uh, you know, we do tape... That's what you call your bathroom door, right? The Iron Curtain? The Iron Curtain, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what we like to do is sometimes we'll come into the studio and tape, you know, maybe two or three. And I think the last time we yeah. were here, which seems like a while ago, we taped a lot of them. We were with Chris Porter. We had Mark Ellis calling in to talk about the fall movies. Uh, we did quite a few, right? We had we had Brian Moses and Earl Skakel on, talking about Roast Battle at the Comedy battle, Store. Yeah. So we've had quite a few that we banked, and then we were playing them over the last couple of weeks because you were on the road, I just got back from D.C. with you, you were just in Philly, you're going to New York this weekend, so we kind of had all of these banked, and then we looked and the bank was dry, um, which is what I call you after Sullivan's and Son got canceled. Now, Steve, uh, can you tell us <laughs> the reason— you couldn't come in today, uh, and it was because you're shooting a movie. And, you know, people hear movie, they're like, holy shit, Paramount, Sony. Uh, but no, um, Stephen was up in Santa Clarita uh, shooting a movie for uh, what network was that, um, Steve? Gary. I'm asking you, Steve, it's been a little while, I haven't seen you. Um, well, I'll tell people, it was for the Hallmark Network. And a lot of people want to think, <laughs> after you've had a show on TBS, uh, that you just go up, and uh, Steve is here to prove that that is not the case. Um, His career is falling quicker than the fall foliage here in Los Angeles. Now, Steve, tell us a little bit about nothing. the movie. <laughs> There's nobody here. What do you mean nothing? I'm here in a lone <laughs> studio by myself. I feel like that guy on on Radio Talk or Talk Radio. Remember, he was getting ready to be killed off. Now, Steve, tell us a little bit about the movie that is also starring uh, one of our favorite Sullivan and Suncast members, the beautiful Valerie Aslin.
1: Yeah, it's with <laughs> Valerie Aslan yeah. and our good friend Jason Dallas, who clogged the toilet in Phoenix.
0: That is right. J- well, oh No, he didn't. No. Oh, he clogged the toilet, and I cleaned it. Yes,
1: that is correct. Yeah. yes. He destroyed a toilet. He's basically directing the film. And, yeah, I mean, look. You know, did that
0: video that you sent from Phoenix, did that help him get this job at the Hallmark Channel?
1: <laughs> yeah. I would assume. It's, 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 <laughs> that video kicks off as real. Yeah.
0: <laughs> They're like, we got to have this guy if he's capable yeah, of delivering the shit. toilet
1: video, a scene from X Files, a scene from if he's capable from, of know, that. Some Fox sitcom, and then, yeah, sure. Course, then well, this it, is great. Then it closes on that too. A,
0: a guy like that definitely has the experience. So, so he's is he directing this movie or he's just in it?
1: He's directing it. Yeah, wow. I, he he's been working the last few years with this great young actor. His name is Jet, and Jet does a ton of Disney stuff and whatever. And uh, you know, Dallas. Got the script, and he explained to me the story. And I said, "You know who, who's in the wheelhouse for something like that?" He was explaining, like the female protagonist of it, uh, who plays the mother of this young kid Jet. Um, I said, "Aslan would be great." He said, "That's a great idea." So he contacted the producers, mentioned Aslan, and Jet's parents actually came a few times—I think once or twice—to to the set of *Sullivan's Son*. It couldn't be a nicer kid. And, you know, they said, yeah, we'd love to have Aslan. Once Aslan signed on, they said, do you think Steve might be open to this? And, uh, look, this is definitely not in my wheelhouse. It's definitely outside of my comfort zone as a comedian. But Why, the opportunity to, get to work gig? with Dallas and Aslan is, is uh, an opportunity I'll definitely take. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been amazing to work with an 11-year-old who literally goes to his tutor – and we'll take 20 minutes or 30 minutes of algebra, and then they say, Jet, you're ready. It's like an egg timer goes off. He doesn't even brush up on his lines. He just comes over the set, bangs out two or three pages in 15 minutes, and then goes back and right back to class. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my life.
0: Well, it, it, it is true that we have a uh, young kid on, Dr. Ken. His name is Albert Sai, and he must be – 11, 12 years old. And I got to tell you, I mean, that guy, that little boy knows his lines so quickly. I mean, it's absolutely yeah. amazing just to watch like a kid like that work and work so quickly. But I, I have to back up for a second. W- why would you say like something like this isn't in your wheelhouse? You mean a paid gig? Hello. I think we lost him. Uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> why would you? Sarah, I mean, you're just jealous because there's no audience warm up on <laughs> <laughs> on the Hallmark Network. Come on now. Can't you ever be happy? Look, we're, we're – Whoa, no. whoa, Steve. Slow down. Go ahead. Tell me. No, no. We – you you <laughs> and I know,
1: okay, we yes. are comics cut from a different cloth. Yes. We're not in the cool kids club. We've never been invited to the cool lunch table. Yes. And so, you know, when you watch films, when you watch TV, when you watch certain things that have, you know, some gravity to it, we're all used to seeing the same comedians, you know? Yes. And I'm just not one of those comics, So I, I do my own thing and to be invited to get to be one of the leads of a of a film that's something my wife would watch, it's kinda cool. I'm I'm like, Yeah, I'll I'll try this out. I've never gotten to do something like this I'll probably never get offered it again why not why not try it out you, you know what
0: I feel like right now now that you stood up and gave me the uh, Rosa Parks uh, speech I feel like the uh, the guy who's making fun of an audience member and just shitting on him right shitting on him and his girlfriend and then I say hey what do you do and he says that he's in the air force or in, he's in the military I feel like that right now that that I went off and tried to make fun and that you took this seriously and now I feel like an asshole
1: well, you should, okay. um, and you know what? You you have a lot of time to think about it tonight when you go and you get two dollars a quarters and you go do laundry at a laundromat.
0: Because I don't have a real washer and dryer
1: in my house. That's that's what I'm insinuating. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to explain the joke, Gary.
0: So so now, I when when you first told me about this, I thought maybe it was a Christmas movie, but it is not a Christmas movie.
1: No. Um, You know, usually something, you know, Lifetime Hallmark, it, it, it deals with murder. It's not that. Basically, this kid, Jet, you know, he ends up setting his mom up with this guy who's his guitar teacher. And I don't play guitar. I don't know how to play guitar. And I'm in this guitar shop with this kid, Jet, who's not only an amazing actor, but he can play guitar. So in between takes, he's teaching me to play guitar. It's the craziest thing. Oh, wow. And
0: obviously, and and all kidding aside, the the development or the idea to bring you in was because the producers of this Hallmark movie saw the chemistry that you and Val had on Sullivan and Son, and that was kind of the idea of shifting it and doing it for this movie, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But Val has done, I think, a handful of these anyways, these kind of Hallmark Lifetime kind of movies. So, um, you know, it's definitely – you know something. She's look. She's so talented. She can do anything, and she's done a, quite a few of these. So, for them, it made sense to get her on the resume. And then, and then when they asked me to, you know, today Val and I filmed for the first time probably since Sullivan and stuff. Oh wow! And it was just like, you know, it was it was great working with somebody you you know how to work with. And I, again, I'm not. Pretending to be this feature or film actor or actor in general but but just work with Val. it's so easy, and there's almost like the second hand. You know, way of communicating. It, it was just great. It was a lot of fun.
0: Well, I mean, listen. You and I have talked about this, and 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 there is some truth to that whole story of you know, hey, there's a certain level of comics that they're they're always on at midnight. They were always on Chelsea lately. They were you know those people that did those shows over and over again. They're the if you look at at midnight, it's it's essentially a lot of the same lineup over and over again. Yet, you know, it fascinates me because I look at that lineup and I say, wow. I don't know if, if I don't know, 40, 50, 60 percent of those comics on those shows can go out and do a full headline set somewhere or, to another point, can even make a living other than being on these shows once every six, eight, nine weeks. I just – I don't get it. That's, it. It fascinates me and good for them that they found a wheelhouse that they can f- have this outlet for, but I just don't understand how – you know they can make a living, and we've always said this. When a host says, "Hey, check out so and so next week at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis," I'm always thinking, "Are they doing a guest set? Are they feature?" I, I, <laughs> I know that they're not headlining. I just I know that that's impossible.
1: Yeah, it's weird. You know, I you know we did at midnight. I think, look for the three seasons we had, Summit and Son*. Nobody gave us any press. I think it was the third season. They actually finally invited us at midnight. It was Roy, Ahmed, and I, Roy, Owen, and I. And we went and did it, and usually people just stand behind the podium and, you know, give these kind of clever jokes. And I thought, I'm going to treat it like an actual competition. So if I get something right, I'm going to fist pump. I'm going to get Roy in Owen's face. I'm going to pump up the crowd like a WWE villain. And I was doing it, and I was having a lot of fun doing it, and I guess Chris Hardwick hated it, and they said he'll never be back. So, oh wow, so I, I was never invited back, which is the same because I, you know, I, you know, there's times where I'm flipping through the channel. It's like, yeah, the show's pretty fun, and Chris Hardwick I think is a great host, and he's a likable guy, and it just kind of bummed me out that you know he took, I, I guess, just a different approach to what I was trying to do—is just trying to treat it like, you know, like I said, like some WWE villain, but. uh You know, it is what it is. You you know, you're just not part of that crew. So I was like, you know, if somebody offers me something and it's something I've never tried before, experimented with, I'll I'll definitely try it out. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to know all these lines and to run and gun on a a film that's budgeted this way. So it's a great learning experience.
0: Well, that was why, too, uh, when Ryan Dalton, who's a buddy of ours, was in Cleveland and came out for, I think, our third season of Sullivan and Son, and you were just telling him, hey, listen, I mean, I know that – What you're doing is kind of stand-in work and PA work. But, I mean, just to be on a set constantly, you know, six, seven days a week, I mean, it really lends itself to an entirely different experience than you being in an acting class just studying and doing a scene for 20 other people. I mean, it really is, you know, it's something that you take away, even being on, a a, like, a Conan stage or whatever. Like, you know, when you do get your shot to do it on your own, you really have this opportunity because you feel so comfortable because you've been there so many times.
1: Yeah, and it's a, look, it's an education for Dalton, it's an education for me, and doing something like this where you're literally doing, I mean, I have the call sheet for tomorrow, and it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, it's 15 scenes in one day. So literally, every scene you're doing, it's one or two takes, so you've got to know all your lines, you got to hit your marks, and on top of that, I'm performing half my scenes with an 11-year-old who knows all of his lines. Right. So. I don't want to look so unprofessional. So you really kind of put you on your toes. You're running and gunning. You're at times able to improv. But it again, it's just been an incredible education in terms of getting your lines, nailing your marks. And on top of that, trying to have fun with, with everybody. It's been a great experience. Um, you know, one of the guys I have scenes with uh, is this great character uh, actor named Rex Lynn. And Rex Lynn has been in everything from like cliffhanger to Django Unchained, and he's just sitting there telling me all these great stories about work with Tarantino, and um, it's, again, just part of the experience of getting to be on a film set where you work with somebody who's like an A-list character actor. I mean, he's on CSI Miami, and he's telling me David Caruso stories that are all just amazing, and it makes you just appreciate you know, working in that kind of environment once more. It, it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, anytime that you can do what you love and get paid for it, it's a great day. I mean, it's, you know, if you think about just what we do for a living, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And then yet to get paid for, it, it's even better. I mean, it's 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 absolutely nuts. And the, the crazy thing is the reason you're calling in is because, you know, you've been on the road for a couple of back-to-back weeks. You were in D.C., which is where I was with you. And yeah. then you, then you uh, went to New York for a little bit, and then you went to Philly, and you're literally home for a couple of days, flying out to New York. I mean, I I don't know – I don't know how you do it. I mean, is there a point you just start burning out? I mean, because it's just like – it's it's absolutely crazy. When I got home from D.C. that day, I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't know if I could hop on another plane anytime soon. But, like, are you just programmed that way?
1: <laughs> well, you know. I mean, doing the road is is not – it's fun when you're younger. It's a lot of fun when you're younger, but as you get older, it, it becomes more of a job. But again, the the job becomes the other 23 hours. The hour you're on stage is amazing. It's so fun to right. have that connection with the audiences. And Philadelphia, that was I, I've been to that city probably seven or eight times, and this is the best run of shows I've ever had. Um, it's been my most enjoyable experience. And I don't know. Look, you know, again, I'd love to be there tonight. I thank you for going to the studio so we could bank this. I really do appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, the fact that I flew home, I'm home for three days and I'm literally filming all day today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and I just don't even have the time to make it to the studio. I mean, it's been kind of arduous, but at the same time, it's all uptown problems. It's the reason why you moved to Los Angeles. You know, you pack your bag thinking maybe one day I could film a movie and go do stand up And when it's actually happening, you don't want to sit there and go, ah, oh, I wish I could just sleep in. It's like, this is exactly why you moved here. So I'm really trying to appreciate every second and moment of it. And, um, you know, the biggest downside of this experience has been having to call in and talk to you, really, to be honest with you. But here we are.
0: Right. Th- that's really the, the biggest downfall, Steve? I mean, really?
1: Well, the fact that <laughs> like, I even still do the podcast with you, yeah. I mean, it's 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 just like – it's like pulling dead weight.
0: Yeah, no, but, no, no. I appreciate it. I mean, listen, if it yeah. wasn't for you continuing to agree to do this, I I don't know where I would be. I mean, so I appreciate every podcast that we do together. 64 in total, I think.
1: Well, Who would I mean, have thunk it?
0: Who would have thunk it, Steve?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the podcast is your biggest credit. Let I me think. say,
0: let me just say so. this, uh, because here's what's nuts. I mean, you obviously love bringing guys with you on the road. I, I was with you in D.C. Gareth was with you. We had a great time. Uh, you know, it's so much fun and better to be with your buddies than sitting in a hotel room all day by yourself waiting for the show to start. And a lot of guys do that. A lot of guys don't bring friends with them. I mean, you know, our, our good buddy Pete Giovine was with you in Philly. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. but but it is crazy because there there is always just one night that we take of the weekend to just go and tie one on, which is always great. <laughs> Always, always fun. I just don't know how you're capable of going out and doing that, and yet at three in the morning eating Ben's chili bowl or Gino steaks, and then not putting on an ounce of weight, not having your cholesterol through the effing roof. Like, how is that even like? Like for me, the road is so dangerous with just all of that stuff, and yet you've managed to
1: plow right by. I don't know. I I just have a great metabolism. I have. The eating I, – I basically have the diet of an eighth grader where it's like – I was just in Philly. I think in three days I had four cheesesteaks. It's like that's not right. You don't do that, but I keep doing it. And it's been it, – it's, it's my favorite part of the road I think honestly at this age because when you're younger, it's like going out. You want to party. You want to drink. You want to find a, an a, experience of different kind of bars and nightlife and meet girls but now it's like i just want to find a great meal that's all i want to do and look gino's in philly is a perfect example of like being able to have a great show how do you cap the night off you go and you get to make your own cheesesteak at such an iconic establishment like that which you and i have done and there's just nothing better i mean to go to the iconic staple of a certain city and hang out and just take it all in and see the locals and kind of hang out and talk to the people behind the line. And I don't know, it's a complete blast. And that's one of the reasons when, you know, as taxing as it is still traveling and everything, it's like, what other job would you get to do that in? It's like, what other job? If I was in accounting and I was at a convention in Philadelphia, I'd never have the opportunity to go to Gino's Cheese Steaks and get to go inside and sit in that VIP booth and cook my own State, It's crazy. Uh, it, we're very blessed.
0: I think, I think what else is pretty funny, too, is that over the years when we were in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, because we've been there so many times, we literally don't explore it anymore. I mean, there's no reason to walk by the White House. There's no reason. Like, we did that the last time we were there. In fact, when you and I were in Philly – Uh, A year ago, we were working at Helium, and I just remember we had this big plan to go do a big walking tour of the city, and it was literally 95 degrees out with 100% humidity, and we were walking back from the (laughs) comic book store, and you said, hey, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind just going back to the room and watching a movie. This is middle of the day on a Saturday when we're surrounded by tourists, and I was like – Oh, my God, I'm so happy you said that because I had no interest in walking around to see <laughs> these different sites that I'd seen a million times. I'm like, this is perfect for me. I don't mind that at all. But I think because you've been like the, the, the first night that I got to D.C., we went to that great bar, found that awesome, awesome little uh, Irish uh, band that was playing Martin,
1: down. Martin's Tavern.
0: Yeah, I mean, and for us, I know, you know, for me, you and Garrett, that's what we're into—just this little kind of thing of just going out. Not a lot of people, like to me, those are the great nights. I mean, just having so much fun, enjoying the music, and just tying one on, but also being in this great environment, which I love.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you go to DC, and then you do a little research, you reach out to friends, and I want to go someplace I've never been, and we're we're at Martin's Tavern, which opened in 1933. And there are certain booths in there that are dedicated or have a bronze plaque dedicated to a president that sat in there and did something significant. So when you sit down, you read the menu, you can read about the different booths. And I think we were right next to the John Kennedy booth, the JFK booth, and it was bronze because he had proposed to Jackie Onassis in the booth at Martin's Tavern, which is kind of cool. And it's this – Divey, Not really divey, but kind of like restaurant slash tavern place that, uh, I don't know, was packed the whole time we were there. And it was great. I think we we were between the JFK booth and the Nixon booth, which was really awesome.
0: It's almost annoying, too, because uh, it's almost annoying when you find out some friends are in town that you didn't know about. And they'll text you and be like, hey, we want to come to your show tonight. And what are you guys doing afterwards? Because then you're just like, oh, boy, like why – like, you really had your night set up, and then they kind of threw a wrench into it. It, it just, It's it's a little problematic because you're trying to plan things out, and then it's like, hey, we're here too. And you're like, ah, shit, that wasn't what the plan was.
1: Well, my favorite thing in in, in working on the road and, and working with you is there are times where, like you mentioned earlier, where it's like, you know what? Instead of going to museums, I think I might just go back to the room and write. And you're like, yeah, I'll just go back and take it nap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is crazy how much you can sleep during the day on the road, though. Nothing better than closing the curtains, air conditioning pumping, and just falling asleep in two seconds. It's the greatest. It really is the, I, the best way to go.
1: I think the older you get, the I don't know what it is, but maybe it's the air pressure. It's the it's changing of the time zones, but it is harder to travel the older I get, and I do just want to just get to the hotel nap in an ideal world, wake up, eat dinner, go do the show, come back, and just pass out watching, like, Game of Thrones or something and not even going out once. And, and That'd i be know, my ideal.
0: And I know that it was really one of the few weekends that I've worked with you that we've worked together, you know, over the last couple of months. But D.C. was really a fun time. We did that theater on Saturday night, and then we drove to that other gig in Frederick, Maryland, that we thought was going to be a bust. Uh, it was downstairs in this little bar basement. Door, yeah. And uh, it turned out to be a blast. And, it, you know, it's, it's something that you and I talked about. It, it was a small little room, maybe 50 people. But the way that we were treated from the minute we walked in the door till the very end of the night was world-class. I mean, you don't even see comedy clubs going and extending that olive branch as much as that place did. It was
1: great. Couldn't have been nicer, yeah. It was an absolute treat to get to do that. And it, Look, I, that's the great thing about, <laughs> I don't know, I, I already know the, what, how you're going to twist this on me. But... <laughs> The great thing about being a stand-up is that, literally, one day you could be performing in a basement, in the middle of nowhere, for 60 people. Then you go to a comedy club and it's packed and you know it's sold out. And then you come to LA and you do a a film, and it's just like there's so many different variations, quote unquote, of what show business is. But you know, even though you're on a film, and I'm not saying this is the case, but on a film you could be treated like less than human, but you could be treated better than that at, at, at this, you know, basement kind of one-nighter gig, and I think it's just the way that you're treated just makes all the difference in the world, and um, yeah, that was one of those gigs where I felt like I went back 10 years in my career, but it was also such a blast the minute you got there because the audience was so great, yeah. and the staff was great, and they were so happy to have us, and it was just like, this, this is exactly what it's all about. This is worth the hour-and-a-half drive. Out of D.C. to come in the middle of nowhere and explore a new town and have a blast. I think
0: we were all on that drive on Sunday hanging a little bit. We were all a little tired. And oh, I yeah. know Gareth wanted to watch the Green Bay game. So we got in the car. The game was still going on. But I got to tell you, when we got to the gig, absolutely fantastic. That's a gig you would have driven, what, eight hours for when you were a new comic to get, you know, 50 bucks. I mean, that was such a – almost a classic rewrite of of something that you would have done years ago. But I will say this, which was really, really funny – we were at the Howard Theater, and it was it was a, a decent turnout, but I think you were hoping for more, and it wasn't it wasn't what you were expecting. And I just remember seeing you before the show, and you were bummed out. and there was mention of, hey, are you gonna do the sausage party thing? And you said, Absolutely not. Let's get in, get out. And I just remember you were really enjoying yourself on stage. And I remember saying to Gareth, I said, I'm gonna get the song queued up. I'm gonna get it ready. And then you yelled out, Hey, can we get like if can we do that thing at the end? And I already knew because I knew that you were having so much fun, even though it wasn't completely filled and sold out, but you were still wanting to give those people who showed up a great show. And that's I hate those comics that dump on the audience over and over again when there's 12 people. It's like, well, don't piss them off. I mean, they showed up.
1: Yeah, look, it, you know, it was my first, you know, <laughs> can't believe we were talking about this, but but as my career has gone on, it's like, you know, you think you're at a certain level, you'll experiment in things, and DC is a market I've always done well in because the DC Improv is just great. It's got a great infrastructure in terms of getting the word out. And it was like, all right, let's try a theater in D.C. Um, let's see what happens. And I think, you know, we had a – like you said, like we had a good turnout. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't great. But it was good. And, you know, when you walk in, the the wind in your sails kind of drops a little bit because every comic wants it to be packed. And it's a little bruised to the ego. But the minute you get up and the people that are there are having a blast, it's like, why – Am I concentrating, or even giving credence to the people that aren't here? I should be thinking about the people that got a babysitter for the night, that got dressed up and went out to dinner and came here tonight specifically to see this show. Let's blow it out. Let's have fun. And they were absolutely one of the best audiences I performed for in a while. I, I had a complete blast. And you're right. I mean, you get caught up in the momentum of of saying they're having they're they're actually carrying me through the show, and I I just want to give them everything I got tonight. So. It's as humbling as it is. It's doubly humbling once you see that people are really excited to be there. They came there to see you. It's great.
0: Yeah, and there were those people that were in the front row. the The guy that was there with his wife, who was blind. Remember the the, the, the that couple? Like they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they were from couple hours away they drove into the city that's not cheap they got a hotel for the night that's not cheap so i mean yeah. you, you do they were sitting in the front row there before the show started long before so you just realize that it really is kind of this cool thing and it was great because afterwards uh we all went to the dc improv uh in dupont circle when it was closed uh lavelle crawford had just gotten off stage and uh went in there and you just you just realize like You look back when we were there last year and how much fun that was, and we were hanging out in that club, just drinking and having a great time. And you know, it was just—it was great to just see Lavelle there, and it's it's, just—it's—it's this great. uh, In fact, uh, Bill Burr was in D.C. when we were there as well. We tried to get together with him, but that didn't happen. Um, But I mean, it's just great when you run into somebody that you know and they're also in the same town working. It's—it's just this great pleasure because you don't get to see people in L.A., which is nice.
1: Yeah, it's weird because in L.A. you'll live 20 minutes away from somebody, and it's like I would never meet Lavelle Crawford or Bill Burr for a drink um, and just get in my car and say, hey, let's go. But if you're in the same town, it's like, yeah, I'll go see Lavelle. I'll go get a drink. with <laughs> him. It's right. like Burr will, will text each other. It's like, yeah, let's meet up. And uh, that's the great thing about being a comic is all the different cities, all the different markets you go to. You know, if somebody's there, it's like, why not go swing by the club and catch up with somebody you don't normally get to see? Even though when you're at home, you're 20 minutes away. Right. But when I'm home, it's like I just want to dedicate the, all that time to my wife and my children. And the last thing I want to think about is comedy.
0: And and by the way, shifting gears, uh, while you were traveling a little bit, I got to do a little bit of warm up for some comics that are getting ready to sell their specials. So, for example, our good buddy Joe DeRosa, he sold his special to Comedy Central, so I got to do warm-up for his special a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Last weekend, our buddy Ahmed Ahmed, who was on Sullivan & Son, he shot his special. I got to do warm-up for that. And so well, it, wanted, it led me to think that when you and I did your special, which was in February, right? That was in Chicago. Yeah. At that point... It was still kind of up in the air if it was sold, not sold, all that other good stuff. But you told me a couple of days ago that the special uh, did get picked up. It was acquired, and it'll be announced soon as to where it's going, when it's going to air, and all that other good stuff.
1: Exactly, yeah. Thank you for (laughs) bringing it up. But, yeah, I mean, it's been – you know, it's tough with so many different outlets out there. You're – you know, look, you film these hours, and, again, I've never been – the industry darling or part of the cool kids club. So I've always kind of like filmed these and done it on my own with a production company. It's never been produced by Netflix. It's never been produced by comedy central, but I do the work. It gets made and we just sent it out to a bunch of buyers and just got word that uh, a major buyer has purchased it. We're just waiting for the ink to dry and we'll make an announcement on it soon. And uh, that's kind of the scary part. Cause once they say, okay, it's sold now. Now it's like a reality. Now I have to start writing the next one. Right, That's always the scariest thing is to literally ditch everything, maybe have one or two jokes as a crutch to get you by until you can sustain the hour. But it's once every, this has happened to me every time. Once they say it's sold, that's for me when it's like, all right, now it's a reality. Now it's going to be out there. They're going to expect new stuff and it's time to start writing again. And, uh, It's just scary to look at a blank page. And know that you have nothing. <laughs> who, who, I mean, you know that feeling, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> daily.
0: Who was, who was kind of the first? Who was the first comic really to kind of go out and record their special all on their own, finance the whole thing, and then sell it without the backing of like a Comedy Central or like w- w- was that like a again or was that like I-, I remember when he did it, but I don't remember if there was somebody before him that said, "Hey, f all these people, I'm just going to film it and then I'm going to sell it." and do it my own way
1: oh god i don't know i mean it's probably somebody you know it could have been somebody in the 80s could have been somebody in the 90s i mean the most famous person i think in the last few years to do it is louis where he self-financed it on his own sold it on his own i think sold it on a site on his own because look he's big enough to recoup all the money he doesn't need a middleman he's big enough to to produce it on his own you know and invest in himself you know if i was to put that kind of money down on something it's called him it's called a down payment on a house right you know um but he's he's big enough and i think Aziz is big enough i mean there's only a handful of people that are that big to do that you know where you know you can recoup it on your own website um, Dunham's certainly one of them, but yeah, I'm definitely not in that league. It is,
0: it, of of say the three, four biggies. You have you have like a Netflix, Comedy Central, Showtime, HBO. Uh, the the four, five, six big ones. Which one would you say is the best one financially to get your special sold, till, sold, sold to? Well,
1: I mean, financially is a different question. I and mean, look, it, it's you know. As we all know, entertainment's so fractured these days, so it just depends. Like, you look at what Sebastian's done with his specials. They've aired on Showtime, and this is somebody who, you know, isn't on a show. He isn't known from a movie. Right. His specials end up on Showtime, and next thing you know, he's doing seven sold-out shows at the Beacon Theater. There's no rhyme or reason for it, you know. Other than, of course, we all know that he's talented and he's so damn funny. He's extremely unique in his own voice, but it's just dependent, I think, on on matching the audience with the outlet. And the outlet could be one of those four things that you mentioned, or CISO, or Amazon, or a thousand other things. You know, You, you just you just don't know. Yeah, because you
0: always wonder what the best outlet is, because obviously you just want to get the most exposure for you. You can't really worry necessarily about the money. But I just remember years ago when Comedy Central would announce, hey, these are the 12 people getting new hours this year, the 12 people getting new half hours. And you realize, wow, that's just such a small Piece of the pie. I mean, obviously Joe DeRosa got his on Comedy Central, uh, but you know, I just worked with Ahmed, and he's uh, you know putting it together right now and editing and trying to figure out uh, you know where it's going to go from here. But I just wondered if there was you know th- a better way to do it rather than go to Comedy Central and say, hey, you know, are you willing to work with me? It does sound like there's by far better options.
1: Yeah, I look if you're if you're a, a draw enough. On the road where it's significant or look if you're on a show obviously that helps it a ton and a network will produce it that that's amazing to get that um but otherwise yeah I think there are a lot of people that are self-funding it that are just putting it up on the internet on their own or even through YouTube and trying to garner popularity that way it everything's just changed so much and it will continue to change um who knows who knows any
0: any idea when it will air
1: Obviously uh, next I think year. early 2017. Oh, okay. So it's, okay. you know, maybe I think we're f- within six months of it airing. Which oh, would be okay. Great. And I'm very excited to get it out there. It's been, you know, it's definitely very personal. It's the hardest I've ever worked on an hour. It's, I feel, the best hour I've ever done. And I'm I'm so proud of it. I'm, I'm so proud of this hour that I had my parents and my brother introduce me. Sure. I talk a ton about my family in it. And at the end, the closing bit of it, I had a really dirty joke that did really well. I mean, it was my closing joke. It got a great response. But here I am having my family introduce me. I'm talking about my kids and instituting these pillars of how they are to live their lives through lessons or experiences I've had in my life. And then I'm going to close on a dirty, dirty graphic x rayed joke. It's like, you know, I remember a month out thinking – There's a better way to close out the show, and especially if I'm talking about my kids, why not put in here a message that I'd like to resonate with them and maybe other folks? And that closing bit on its own is the most proud of anything I've ever done, and it's not funny. There's no joke in it, but the other 58 minutes is really, really great, I believe. And the last thing, having a message put out there, I've never seen a comic do it. I've never seen a comic do it. The way I did it with having Jemiah, uh who's the that great blues guitarist, sure. join me on stage. And, I, you know, it's something I, I'll look back on years from now and say, I, I, I you know, I, I just hope to say I'm proud of it. Yeah. And I think I am now.
0: Well, it, it, it's interesting because I know that you worked so hard on it, and I saw the work that you put into it before you did the special. And uh, I know that afterwards, you know, obviously there was some uh, – you were obviously bummed because it hadn't – taken off and, and sold as quickly as you thought it would. I mean, obviously, it's sold. That's the bottom line. So that's the good thing. But I know that you were uh, a little bummed that it didn't go quicker than you thought it, or at least it hoped it would.
1: Yeah. I mean, Look, it's also, it's part of the marketplace now. I mean, everybody's doing an hour. Everybody's filming an hour. Everybody's getting an hour produced. And, um, yeah, when I work as hard as I do and I consider myself one of the true road professionals seeing that i work probably like 45 47 weeks out of the year um and i see some of the hours being produced and made and look if you look at a lot of the ones on netflix i mean a lot of them are rated one to two stars and i think that's not a knock on the comics but i think it's a knock on on quantity not quality i think that they're so desperate for content they're giving people these specials and these and when you're thrown six figures it's like yeah i'm gonna take this sure of course and i'll scrap together an hour but after having done it for so long it's like i really believe you need at least two years on the road dedicated to crafting it to working it out and that look that's just my own pacing Maybe somebody else could do it in a shorter window of time. Somebody could do it in a longer window of time. But I think in order to really craft a great hour, it's going to take at least a year and a half to two years. So I'm proud of the fact that I traveled my ass off, that the only way to do it is to do it in front of crowds an hour at a time and to really craft the jokes and work on it. And um, I feel like that's why I put the work in. I feel like this one especially is Head and Shoulders with all the other ones, if not better. So I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm really excited for people to see it.
0: Well, congratulations on that. I don't like the way this interview is going at all because it's too, um, I guess, ass kissy for each other. I like shitting on you better. It's a (laughs) lot lot, uh, more enjoyable for me. I, I just wanted to say a couple of things before we wrap this, uh, You and I did Roast Battle a couple of weeks ago with Earl and Brian Moses and just had an absolute blast until I started going on for too long, and then I started getting heckled (laughs) by the audience. So that was a fun, fun time, and I hope that Brian— I've never seen that before, by
1: the way. I've never seen the audience turn on 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 the guest judges They turned on me. You came out hot. You came out out of the gates. You were smoking. Uh, Everybody smoking. loved you. And I think you got cocky. Yep. I think you got a little too much wind <laughs> in your sails. And then you started turning into the Gary Cannon show. And when the audience turned on you. I loved every second well, of Well, it's it. funny because I, I watch it
0: now uh, on Periscope from the Comedy Store. They, they post it live. And it, it's interesting because people are very quick in giving their feedback. And I was up there yeah. towards the end, five beers in, standing up, giving a speech. Like I was a coach for the University of Nebraska. And, like, people were just I, – That's I, a right I, people were yelling, like, shut up, faggot. Like, I heard somebody yell, <laughs> shut up, faggot. I mean, it was just, it was the the weirdest thing. So I, I, I hope that we can come back. We had a great time with Brian and Earl, and it was so much fun. But, yeah, they did turn on me quickly. Two things I wanted to ask you about really, really quickly, just because it's, it's the focus of so much that's going on right now. Um, are you going to be glad when the election is over with?
1: Oh, can't wait. It's, can't wait. I it, mean, it's just... Well, an absolute nightmare. It's one of the biggest Travis Keys I think we've all witnessed. I think, like, you know, I think you and I in our generation we had 9/11 and I think my children's 9/11 is this election 2016. It's it's, it's absolutely, absolutely
0: amazing. It is absolutely just a horrific train wreck and and the fact that these are the two that we're left with, I mean it's 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 crazy. These are the two that we found. I mean it, it it's so nutty. And uh turning to something a little more lighthearted, what uh what's your prediction for the World Series, which I'm really excited about, uh because I'm so thankful that both of those teams are in it.
1: Um, well, look. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Cleveland, going to Kent State University. I have a lot of friends from Cleveland. I think that Cleveland is a great underdog, and, and they are the Cinderella team, taking out Toronto, taking out everybody they have on their way. Everybody counted them out. Nobody said they'd do it. Nobody said they'd even beat Toronto. They swept them. I'm so proud of Cleveland. And you you look at you look at the drought that's happened with not only losing, but losing in dramatic fashion with the Browns, with the Cavs, with the Indians, and that that documentary um, Believe Town, the 30 for 30 on ESPN about Cleveland and all the times they've come so close and lost. And then to see the reversal of fortune with the Cavs and how it's uplifted the city. And then just a few months later, here the Indians are on the World Series. It'd be a great, great end of the story. But since 1908, the Cubbies haven't... (laughs) That's right, fun. and that is one of those diehard towns where, after having lived in 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 Chicago for all the years that I did, you know, it's a city that embraced not only me to come out and throw out the opening pitch and be so inviting to certain series, even emailing me. And I've been on the road; I can't. Um, and those fans are so diehard that even when they've been losing, Wrigley is always sold out. And I think that the city will absolutely just go crazy. In a joyous way, not in a rioting way, but in, in a drunken, almost St. Patrick's, Irish, lose-their-mind kind of batshit crazy way. And so I'm rooting for the Cubbies to do it. I'd love to see the Cubs do it, especially for Brian Dahl-Murray and Roy Wood Jr., who are such big fans. Big fans. But what is your prediction?
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really have a, a horse in the race. I like both teams. Uh, but, I mean, I, I would just love to see the Cubs do it. I mean, I, I, you know, listen, we both been to Ohio many times. I think that's a state that's really, you know, just desperate for something good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But, I mean, listen, Sh- Chicago's got some great stuff going on, aside from it being an amazing city. But uh, I would love to see the Cubs take it.
1: I think Cubs in six. What's your prediction?
0: Ugh. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think it's going to go to seven games, but I think maybe five or six would be where I, I'm at on it, too. I, I'm excited yeah. to watch it. It's, it's going to be a great series. I'm excited for it. Um, and I know tickets are going for thousands and thousands of dollars to see it at Wrigley, which is just nuts.
1: Well, your nickname in high school was the Billy Goat, right?
0: The Billy Goat. No, no, no the brick yeah. wall. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that Here meant. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Hey, I want to take well, back all that nice stuff I said. I and uh, me sucking you off for the last 40 minutes. If you were gonna turn it into this, seriously.
1: Steve, well, our, I thank you for going into the studio listen, and, I wouldn't, and giving us a podcast this week, and, and will, next week we'll get right back into the into the grind, but I thank you, Gary. And
0: by the way, Aaron showed up and was here for us tonight, so we appreciate uh, our thank in-studio you, producer who helps out so much with us. And uh, yeah, I was, I, I'm glad that we finally caught up and we were able to get a fresh— Right out of the oven podcast to all of our listeners. So I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we're almost at uh, our 70th episode, so keep listening. Yeah. And Steve, uh, where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, West Nyack at Levity Live?
1: West Nyack, Levity Live, yeah.
0: Okay, there you go. On Thursday through uh, Saturday after filming uh, your Hallmark Channel movie.
1: <laughs> That's right, Gary.
0: And by the way, uh, I'm excited because next week um, I am going to be in New York because Conan is bringing the show to the Apollo Theater, so I am going to be in New York next week.
1: That's awesome. There I'm you go. I'm so happy for you.
0: Thank you, Stephen. I'm happy for you as well. We're happy for <laughs> each right, other. Steve? Next week, we'll
1: get back to the hatred. Steve,
0: oh, playing the song for you, buddy. I know you love Van Halen. There it is. <laughs> Steve Burn at stevebyrnelive.com. I'm Gary Cannon, garycannon.com. Thank you for listening to us, The Gentleman's Dojo, all things comedy. Keep the tweets, the emails, all the feedback. Keep it coming to us. We love that you're listening. We would love to hear what you have to say. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.